Welcome back to another episode of Scions of the Southland. Uh, we are back on a, another Tuesday, Tuesday, February 11th. There has been a lot of Georgia Tech sports in the offing. Uh, Mr. Jake Grant, how are you doing on this Tuesday night? Doing fine, thanks. Uh, Scott in the pool, played from Intermere now, man of many talents, I guess. All right, so we have, like I said, we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about some softball. Uh, both basketball teams were in action. Both tennis teams were in action. Track and field was in College Station this weekend. Baseball starts next weekend. Yeah, it's a, it was a busy, busy weekend on the flats, and it's another busy, busy week to come. Yep, compound that with rain and snow. We had a... Uh... We had a ball of the time, but it's supposed to rain most of this week before it clears up uh, Friday, which, you know, is in time for baseball and softball again. And I think uh, I think Miami comes to town for tennis, too. So plenty to, plenty to see and do. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. A good February snow, you know, keeps the muscles fresh, keeps you on your toes. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, Cade, um, he'll be back on the podcast someday. Um, but uh, Cade and I ran up to... Uh, Sandy Springs to go actually see snow. Um, went to go to the Chicago style hot dog place up there, but it was closed. Oh, of course so you did. did. Well, I mean, it's very on brand, but shout out Gus's world famous fried chicken on, um, I think it was Roswell road. Actually. Um, that's where we went instead. Good stuff. All right. To avoid him rambling about Chicago any longer, let's start today's podcast with about softball sure lay it on right so softball had a weird weekend um their first game got pushed back to 10 a.m because of inclement weather i think that was a 10 a.m start on friday morning and that was against uab uab beat them i want to say it was nine two and then they lost Back-to-back games versus Washington on Saturday and Sunday morning. Uh, And then they were able to salvage a victory versus Ohio in the late game on Sunday. It's a bit of a mixed bag. I think we were very positive about where this season could go. And uh, early on, and I know both of us were were talking about this offline uh, intermittently while the games were going on. It was like we saw some regression at places we really didn't expect to see it from this team. Yeah, um, I want to lead with a couple comments before we dive more into that because I do have uh, I do have some thoughts on that. But in general, like it's I don't know. We were high on this team. Uh, They only played four games instead of the five, so I think we said three and two would be would be, and they went one and three. So. Again, uh, not a not a winning record, but you're inviting what is essentially the best college team on the planet plus the rest of the gang into Atlanta for a weekend, and two of your games are against that that best team. Like you're not going to, not that you're not setting yourself up for success there though, but it's not it's not like last year when they went to Jacksonville and dropped two games to Providence. You know, like that's. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It it's still early. I'm not going to start sounding alarms, but like they they gave us plenty to talk about. I think mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of uh, in terms of just how the weekend played out, like they they were. 
it was a dynamic, dynamic. Uh, it, it forced them to adapt on the fly in terms of like UAV was supposed to be Thursday, then it was Friday, and Friday morning when they started playing, it was snowing, um, and then it's cold all weekend, which I guess isn't really great. I I, I predicted low scoring games all around once I saw that it was going to be. 38 degrees for all all day Friday and Saturday. Um, but I don't know. I guess we didn't really see that either in the first two games, UAB in the first Washington game. Yeah. And uh, uh, let's say UAB scored nine and then Washington scored 11 in the second game. So yeah, it's it. The weather wasn't really an issue. Uh, I, it, it might, in terms of scheduling, maybe, you know, we, sometimes we talk about a, a body clock game. Um, when teams have to play uh, games at odd times, like there was that Stanford traveling to Northwestern uh, series a couple of years ago, where Stanford players came, they didn't come out ready to ready to compete because their clocks were still on Pacific time. I yeah. mean, I don't know how much of an effect that has when you're still in the same time zone. You're just playing a game at 10 a.m., but I I feel like it's still that there's there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Um, again, I don't know how much that played into it. Uh, I will say it was definitely something else to be sitting at class at 10 in the morning, uh, and streaming a game that's happening, you know, a mile away at Mewborn. Um, but in, in terms of like actually diving into that first game, I, I can say more about the second cause I actually got to see all that game, but we'll get there in a minute. But the, the UAB game, uh, kind of was like, uh, like a tale of two games, if that makes sense. It was like the close 1-1-2-1-2-2 first couple innings and then just the end where it kind of got out of hand. But if we're if we're talking pros, cons, pluses, minuses, has to be at the top of the list in terms of uh, not pleasant surprises. But, man, she, in the first inning, she ended the top of the first, throwing out a would-be base stealer at second. And then promptly leads off the inning, uh, the bottom of the inning, with uh, a home run on the second pitch she sees in college. That is, I mean, hype trains are one thing, but like, she is as advertised. It seems. Mm-hmm. I was, I was very impressed. Uh, she, especially against Washington, I didn't feel like she looked phased at all. Uh, no. Your, your, it's your first couple of collegiate games. You're facing the number one team in the nation, and she just was absolutely steel faced. Handled herself really well. I don't think she had. Uh, I don't think she made a mistake. I think her her pitchers let her down a couple of times, but there there was no there were no defensive mistakes on her part. And she hit. I want to say she hit pretty well over the course of the weekend too, which was you know one of the one of the bright spots over the over the course of the weekend on that side. Yeah, um, and allowing us to kind of pivot away from the UAB game um, and to the Washington first game specifically because I uh, I have my notes open here. Um, also, shout out EFIS League um, for the like notebook scorecard paper. Not if a that sponsor. Makes sense. Not a sponsor. Yeah, no sponsor. No sponsor. If they want to sponsor us, by all means, um, call Ben. But. Um, but no, great, uh, handy resource because I do like to keep score of games and never really did it for softball because they didn't have like the 
like the scorecards that they hand out. Um, and I would always use baseball ones. But anyways, um, fact of the matter is I have uh, this handy resource in front of me and talking about Emma Koff, um not being phased against a great Washington team in her three at bats in the first game, she had a single and then she stole second uh, in the third. She, she grounded out um, in the fourth. She hit a double, uh, which I believe might've plated one. No, I don't know. I think she was on second. Um, I don't know if that scored a run, uh, but, um, and then in the seventh, she had a single and another stolen base and then came around to uh, score. So again, not bad. Um, it was pretty cold. So my RBI tracking was not great because I was trying to write minimal things. So I don't know if she had an RBI, but leading off the season with a home run, uh, solid contact later in the game against UAB, and then three for four against the best college team on the planet. That is that is a good start. <laughs> and you can, and, and I mean, you can say sample size or whatever, but and, and I know that people people like us, sort of statistically inclined, might might go and and ha- like sound that alarm. But at the same time, you got to appreciate starting like starting with a bang. Yeah, she made herself known. Um, also, uh, in that, just looking over the the scorecard, there's probably two other takeaways. Lily Hooper, um, two triples, trying uh, got thrown out of the plate, trying for an in the Parker uh, in the second inning. Um, but no, two triples were very solid. And then if you look at the fourth inning, um, Tech was a swing away from not tying Washington, but taking the lead, which would have been 7-6, um, 6-6 if they would have tied. So, yeah, um, 11-6 is not a not a small margin, but it's not like Tech was fully out of the game either. It's just, you know, they're, they're not the number one team in the country. They're not probably not top 25 material either, but... You know, they they hung around, especially in that second game when it was the second final game, score two one, right? Mm-hmm. That I I watched. I want to say most of the second game, and I came away very impressed with uh, transfer from I want to say UT Martin Lexi Ray, uh, who was on the mound for most of that game uh, for facing what looks like a very daunting Washington lineup. She handled handled herself pretty well and i i mean she let in the last time i checked i wanted to say like it might have been seven eight hits um but at the same time there was only there were only two runs scored and they came if i remember correctly in the same inning and she was able to get the last two outs of that inning on a double play to end it and end the threat of more runs coming in so yeah to end my word vomit here uh let's you right Definitely, definitely impressed with her performance in that game. Yeah, I think she was one of the uh, the incoming players that we kind of highlighted um, coming into last weekend when we last did the podcast. Um, so not not saying it's unsurprising or anything, but it's good to see her kind of filling those shoes. Uh, I don't think she pitched the first game against um, Washington. That was split between uh, Pinholster and Bruce. Um, but no, she yeah, was she in the first game versus UAB, and that I will well. say was a bit of a disappointment. Um, she came into a, a, a not very clean inning, though. So yeah, she came guess, into a not clean inning, and I, I think the UAB game, a lot of that was just 
a wash. Uh, not solid defensively in, in the infield, especially. Um, just it, it was, yeah, the whole thing was a wash. I will say one one of those. I'm not gonna. I'll throw UAB out with the bathwater for the most part, but um, the the defensive uh, middle infield, um, not struggles, but just inconsistency kind of carried over into the nightcap on Friday too. Um, that was one thing I wanted to note. Um, nightcap on Zeitler on Friday. Um, okay. But uh, Zeitler and Roper had made a really solid uh, pairing up the middle last year. And I think maybe they were a step off on Friday, but it's definitely something I feel like I'll be keeping an eye on because that is going to have to tighten up if we want to, win the close games, you know, uh, in games where mm-hmm. if, if you can control something and do it well, then you, you got to get it done. Basically. And I think especially Washington in that second game where I said, I mean, they got nine hits, but none of them was particularly, none of them were particularly towering. Like they weren't really hitting for power. They were just getting balls uh, into the, into the infield or they were just str- scorching past infielders. Um, in, in most of those cases, it was very, very scientific, very small ball. Um, it was kind of an interesting approach, but the question is, were they bunting for power? They did bunt a couple of times. Uh, I want to say a leadoff hitter in one, in one of the innings bunted for a hit. Okay. So it um, happened. One thing I will say about softball for those of our listeners who aren't, um, as inclined to the sport before we kind of move on to other things, but the, the bunt is interesting because you're playing on that smaller field and it's the same reason you see like the lefty slap hitter, you know, the ones who take the stride from the back of the box to try and try and kind of like run at the ball, just put it in play and get down to first. Um, so bunting, not that it's more effective than baseball um, or honestly, it's probably a little bit less frequent because you got the slap hitters, but it's definitely an interesting wrinkle. Um, and I don't know, based on what I saw from our, our pitchers and Emma cough, I think they're pretty capable to handle that, especially behind the plate. So I don't know if we can not just keep the ball in the infield and not make the mistakes up the middle, but make sure we're capitalizing on, you know, the hits that aren't towering, then, you know, that's a good defensive start. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be happy with that. Keep everything in front of you. Just like every yeah. other sport, mm-hmm. and and I guess you know they got the first, they notched the first win. Um, it's not a great weekend, but it, it's kind of like one of those like on to Iowa, on to Nebraska. Let's clean up in the Big Ten uh, ACC challenge. All right, sounds good. Um, let's see, where do you want to go next? I. Uh, I think we can just do a quick hitter because uh, this shouldn't take us too long um, Go before for we it. get into things we start rambling on. But track and field um, in College Station, not um, again, not an overwhelming number of storylines to kind of dive into here. Um, but the the one that's definitely the most prominent is uh, Nicole Feegan's, um breaking her own school record for the second time in a month, uh, which had not previously been broken in 24 years in the uh, mile indoors in college station. And then the, uh, the two distant or yeah, distance medley relay. Yeah. That's what DMR. Um, 
both uh, very strong showings after having done well in Nashville a couple weeks earlier. And uh, I think that speaks to Tech's strengths. Um, our women's cross-country team the last two years has been on the ups. Um, our men's team has looked solid, too. So it's no surprise that um, the distance medley is some somewhere we've seen a lot of strength. Um, track and field, we get a lot from pole vaulting, hurdles, things like that. But um, also it, it helps if you can bring in the, the guys and gals from the fall uh, into the spring and kind of have them contribute, you know? Mm-hmm. And this was actually broadcast on ESPN Plus, or, or at least one day of it was. So I got to catch, uh, it was like set A of the 4x400, four which Tech's, uh, Tech's men's relay won. And it was, it was interesting. I, I didn't expect to see a track meet on uh, streaming online. And, you know, did that for the first time. Yeah. Crossed that off on the list. They, um... They get the uh, home swim meets on ACC Network Extra, too, which there is one this weekend. So if you want to watch random non-rev sports in the morning, call swimming. Um, but, uh, no, I, I don't know. I uh, I know it's weird how track, like, splits up their uh, splits up their athletes and sends them to different places. And, you know, you don't send a full team. And, so like, it's not often you get to, like, walk away from a track meet and go, like, Georgia Tech as a team got X place overall. Um, and we did get second in college station. So, you know, there's a trophy. Good job. If there's not, you know, just put a big number two on a piece of paper and stick it on your like bulletin board, you know? All right. So let's see, where do we go next? Let's talk about wounds basketball who are, uh, back in business after last week. Yep. Um, I looking at these two teams. Yeah. You need to beat wake, but boy, do you need to beat Pitt? (laughs) That would, that would not have been good if they lost that. Yeah. That would not have been, that would not have been good at all. So just a quick recap. So they faced, uh, wake force first. Um, and that was a 62 52 win, um, to break. Actually, I think they played Pitt first. Ooh, yeah, my they my did. tabs are in the wrong order. Um, so they played Pitt first. My bad. So that was a seventy-seven forty-eight victory. Pitt is also uh, one in ten in conference. So take away from that what you will. I will say I am looking at the game flow chart here on ESPN, and it was close for a bit, and then in the probably at the middle part of the second quarter tech pulls away and stays away from, from Pitt. So yeah, like you said, you, you gotta, you gotta beat the basement teams in the conference here. And, and the fact that they beat the breaks off of them is good too. Um, three point shooting percentage was up. Um, free throw, uh, free throw shooting percentage was up. Um, Let's see, out turnovered by a lot, and then uh, rebounding, dominating the glass. That is how Tech has kind of lived and died in the can we make our free throws and can we make our three-pointers. Um, and, you know, if you add those well and put in what, you know, Tech has always done, and that is, you know, play stifling defense and kind of get the get the glass under hands, 
you know, it was, it's a win. And I'm not gonna, not gonna nitpick winning by 30 after having won or having lost four or five straight, you know? And then to just cap off that, so the second game again was versus Wake Forest. That was a 62 52 victory. That game got weirdly tense over the last minute and uh, probably like the last, I want to say like two or three minutes away, cut it to four and then tech pulled away with free throws. Um, that one was also pretty close up until the same, uh, same point in the middle part of the second quarter, looking at the game flow chart here. I, uh, I did not get to watch this game. Um, Sunday was a busy day for me, but um, I don't know. Just looking at the numbers, kind of the same vibe. Uh, Wake Forest did not play very diligent defense, like at all. Like their fouls, lots of fouls up and down the board. Tech went to the line a significant amount of times more than uh, the Demon Deacons. And you know, it, if you're going to be a, a defensive team, you got to at least be, you know clean with it you can't be putting yourself in situations that are gonna you know backfire give the other team an advantage and you know what georgia tech for their part shot north of 75 percent from the free throw line which is better than they've done um in a lot of games this season so you know take advantage of something like that when you're given the uh the free opportunity and on just to add to that uh, it wasn't just a, a foul shooting thing for Wake either. If you look at the game flow chart, Wake does not have a single point between 4-12 in the second quarter uh, and 3-29 in the third. So they go a full quarter, just about a full quarter and a little more without a point. Whereas Tech puts up let me let me check here. They put up twelve. So that's a game right there. That's not how you win a basketball game. Ain't that the truth? So well, uh, again, I mean, two wins are two wins. Yeah, not going to pick a lot of nits. Although I will say that Wake was a better opponent, and I and this team also Wake did also beat Tech earlier in the season. So you know, getting getting him back. Uh, Later in the year at home uh, means something. I'm I'm, I'm happy, pretty yeah. happy with that. A little bit of growth. That's all we can ask for. Yeah, and just an update on the ACC standings. Tech is now what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seventh, seventh in the ACC. Uh, four and a half games back of NC State, who is on a stupid eleven and one in conference, twenty two and one overall tear this season can we please not let them live win the conference i like them being terrible at winning acc titles like that brings me joy yeah but yeah yeah speaking of which we play them on sunday so sunday on the road i think right yes that one is in in raleigh so that's uh, that's going to be an interesting one. That that's all I'll say on that one. Uh, there is a game in between that. Um, we'll go over that on in the uh, weekend preview at the end of the show. But 
uh, women's basketball will be at Virginia Tech on Thursday as well. So two more games this week, Thursday and Sunday. Uh, two very different opponents, I will say. Yep. So whereas Virginia, oh, Virginia Tech is fourth. So maybe not so different, but the fact remains not really comparable to 22 and one. Yeah. Uh, tech can hang with them. Uh, I, uh, I will say I, I misread the men's basketball against Louisville tomorrow as being, um, women's basketball versus Louisville on Thursday and, uh, kind of had a mini heart attack because Louisville's a strong team too, but you know, oh, that I, I don't know. I think tech can play. So <laughs> that is next Thursday. Great. Great. Yeah. This will be a tough stretch. We'll see. Uh, if they can get one of the three of these, that would, that would be good. Two would be incredible. I'm not oh, going to. boy. You know, the rough stretch, I have the three schedule three. pulled up here, does not begin to describe it. They, let's see, three of their final five opponents are ranked in the top 15. So that's at number four, NC State this Sunday at number nine or versus number nine Louisville next Thursday. And then next Sunday at uh, versus number 14, Florida state out of those teams, they've already beat Florida state. So that one is a little bit tighter than Florida state's uh, 14 rank uh, might lead you to believe, but yeah, three of five, Versus ranked teams, not uh, not great for a team that's looking to get back onto the bubble, or it doesn't set up great at least. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, but if you can do some damage there, then you play yourself back into the tournament. So, you know, yeah, you play yourself back into the tournament with that. And even if you can't, let's say you can't take those games, or you look maybe semi competitive, you pull, you take some games in the ACC tournament. You end up with a high WNIT seed, or at least a high-ish WNIT seed, or a, or maybe just sneak in as the last four in into the tournament. Yeah. It's it's possible. I, I don't know. I uh, it would be disappointing not to make the tournament after the start to the year. But I've never won. Like, don't eat tournament. Like, here, let me compose my thoughts. Going to any postseason is still good because you can still win a title, you know? Mm-hmm. So the volleyball be... fan has spoken. <laughs> yeah, we don't, it's not their turn. We'll, we'll talk about them in the fall. Um, but no, I guess we kind of alluded to men's basketball. Um, do you want to talk yeah. about the pit game or no? Sure. Let's roll right into that. So, Men's basketball went to Pittsburgh and let the game slip away in a very familiar turn of events. Yet again, uh, just looking at our advanced box score here, Tech actually did edge Pittsburgh in a couple of things. Uh, points per shot, two-point percentage, three-point percentage, where we see probably your big deficiency is turnovers. Uh, Want to guess how many Georgia Tech had? Uh, seven. <laughs> I know that's not right. You know that's an awful guess. It was 22. Yeah, that's not great, Chief. Uh, just for point of comparison, Tech had 
22 made field goals in this game. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> yeah. So, again, comparison pit at eight. That's probably where the majority of your extra possessions and chance of winning comes from for Pitt. Pitt in this one by our model had a 65% uh, post-game win probability. Uh, ESPN had them with about uh, 68 the entire game. So, yeah, you you don't have 22 turn. You cut that number in half and you drastically increase your odds of winning this game. Well, I mean, even 11 is not... <laughs> Not a small number. Eleven is not great, but it's better than twenty-two. Is my point. That is, you know, that is that is accurate. Um, Also, I like how you slipped in by our model because it's the the patented Akshay Ashwaran from the Rumble Seat Analytics staff. You know, it is. You know, we don't have a cool name for it. It's also very simplistic and probably not statistically sound. But you know, it's math. And advanced stats are fun, so we are uh, we're rolling with it. From the Rumble stats, please don't make um, that a thing. We, we, call we can do better. We can't. We'll, we'll think about that. If anybody out there has any suggestions, we'll we'll work on it. But back to the the week in in men's basketball, I feel like the last couple of weeks we've definitely spun our wheels and and circle talked our our way around this team. I, it's it's the turnovers. It's the free throw shooting, and yet again they have doomed what was a like a fairly okay sh- like shooting performance otherwise, and turned it into another disappointing loss. Especially the team like Pitt, who, I mean, we don't think of Pitt as necessarily you know creme de la creme or even mid tier in most years uh, in ACC basketball. At least I can't speak for previous big east basketballness yeah i i gotcha and i don't know i feel like and this kind of is more general statement when it comes to things like basketball and football where there's a lot of people out there that are fans with lots of opinions i find myself not struggling to make a judgment but not wanting to go against the grain or not wanting to not be positive you know it's the it's the old uh, the old rec club football basketball chair in me. You know, like you want to hype up this team. You want to believe they're going to be the team that should appeal the tournament and should, you know, be the best team Passner has had. But it, it it's hard because they're making the same mistakes they made last year and the year before that. And some of that's the team. And some of that's coaching. It's it's frustrating to to watch an away game up at Pittsburgh like, like you did Saturday and go, hmm, that looks exactly like the Clemson road loss in 2017 or the Wake Forest road loss in 2018. You know, it's, it's the same narrative every time. Like it's not circle talking if it's the same thing and things just don't and change. Just to, not just to give just your different. argument here. Sorry, I'll let you finish first. No, I'm, I'm done. I, I was just going to exasperatedly say something along the lines of like, I take just anything different, you know? Yeah. So just to just to give your argument some more credence here. So let's so let's let's look at Pitt on one hand, and then let's also take a look at a game that Tech won handily in uh, the Virginia Tech game last week. So 
Virginia Tech has seven. I don't know. That's offensive rebounds. I'm looking at. All right. Georgia Tech uh, turnovers versus Virginia Tech, 10. Virginia Tech had eight. Georgia Tech's win percentage in uh, win expectancy in this game was 87.7%. And I will admit, you have to also add in the confounding factor of Virginia Tech not being able to hit a three point shot the entire night. Like that, you know, not being able to score on your most valued or your, yeah, your most valued point shot is not helping you out. But even I, I, I bring this up to make two points. Number one, fewer turnovers, probably going to win the game. This was half. Uh, It was less than half of the number of turnovers that Tech had in the pit game. And they won this game pretty handily. And even if Virginia Tech could could make three-point shots, they probably still would have won this game. Two, they still had 10 turnovers in a game that they won. (laughs) This is not... This is this is not a productive situation. This is a problem that consistently is not going away. Even when the team is doing well, they're still giving up poor turnovers. And like you said, part of it is the team. Part of it is the coaching. It it feels at this point where we're, we've beat the horse to death and turned it into glue. Yeah, and and I was about to. I thought you were done. Sorry for cutting in, but I've gotten so used to watching this team commit 20 turnovers and like, yes, I watch other teams play college basketball, but not with enough regularity that I do like I do at Georgia tech that I have gone and normalized the way that they play this basketball. Right. And, and you go in and you go like, what trauma? No, I, uh, I guess we can go five stages of grief of or grief. whatever here, but you know, like, I've hit acceptance. Like I go and I'm like, Oh yeah, 20 turnovers. Okay. Like that is not, that's not something you should be able to justify to yourself as a normal way that good teams play basketball. You have to protect the ball. That is the number one thing you do. You can't, you can't give other teams free possessions, free, free shots, free opportunities, because then you're just doing yourself a disservice. You know? Yeah. I, I don't know what more there is to say about men's basketball. Uh, They do play Louisville. Number, what, four Louisville? I think that's what I saw. Yes, number five Louisville on ACC Network. Tomorrow, they did, I will say, they did put up a very good fight against Louisville in late January. So I'm interested to see if if that has an effect, if the quality of an opponent has, has an effect in, in this matchup tomorrow. Yeah, um... I don't know. They not that they play up to or down to their opponents in the way that certain other teams definitely play up to or down to their opponents. But I don't know. Like these guys get hyped to play a big game, and I I think that's just the natural competitors in them because they are a team of guys who want to go out there and play and win and shoot the ball and celebrate. Like I don't know. One of my one of my favorite Georgia Tech sports memories is watching Jose Alvarado step over um god who was that from unc, UNC guy right there's a lot yeah of it was a whole big sure yeah i was gonna say nasir little but it definitely wasn't him because i would have remembered that because of the whole nasir little is definitely the come to tech thing that definitely did yeah. not happen um but we don't need to get into that it was 
Oh, I don't, I don't think he was a lottery pick. I think he was one of their seniors. You know how UNC has those seniors that they stay forever and become like cult heroes and whatnot? Cult heroes or cult villains? It might have been yeah, Grayson yeah. Allen. No, it wasn't Grayson Allen because it was, it was UNC, I remember. Hold on. The hold opinion, on. I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up. Just, just keep talking. No, like, I'll, I'll find it. I'll find it. I'll vamp on that. Um, point is, these guys want to play and they want to win and they get excited to play and it's fun to watch them when they're doing well. But the fact that they make the same mistakes isn't like it's not right for us to just explain it away and say like, oh, that's how they play. Like we are here to break down this team and say what they do well and what they don't do well. And one of those things is protecting the ball, taking advantage of that that basic tenet of basketball and you know part of that's we can talk about getting to the free throw line or not fouling as much or whatever but i i think that's protecting your possessions is vital and just a real-time follow-up here it was joel barry and he was uh he was not mm-hmm. happy about that he was very upset no, with that that was a whole big national thing right there's sports writers talking about how disrespectful he was and stuff like that. It wasn't okay. It was disrespectful, but also it was funny, and that's fun. That's the fun in sports. Just live a little, y'all. Hey, if it dumps a little gas on the fire, if it helps them play better, I'll take it. I I don't know. As long as we're not out there decking guys or Grayson Allening guys or Chick Graham, that dude. Oh, that's mean. That's a low blow. Um, but like the Wisconsin guy who's like fans and teammates have turned against him or whatever. That's, that's whack. Like, don't do that, but I don't know. Play the game. All right. Before we get, instead of getting into a debate about sports ethics and on field behavior, uh, let's move (laughs) on. Let's move on to more positive, positive news. Uh, women's tennis and men's tennis both did. Honestly, pretty impressively this weekend. I I was looking back at the results from uh, from Yellow Jacket Roundup uh, earlier this week. I was, and and especially hearing about the upset from the women, I was very impressed. Oh yeah, definitely one and one and two for the women was was exactly is is a successful weekend, right? You go up and you have three shots against every other opponent being in like the top 20, right? And we're at what, 22? That is to get a, a top quadrant one, for lack of a better term, for our basketball and baseball fans out there, to get a quadrant one victory, neutral site, against a team that we have shown that we can beat in the past with other Georgia Tech women's tennis teams, boom, send it. We played competitively against Stanford, almost won that doubles point, and then even better, um, against number nine, Florida State, who I'm pretty sure we see who I don't know if it's at home or on the road, but we definitely see them again. Um, I don't know. We'll get a lot of hacks at good tennis in the ACC, so not going to not gonna complain about one and two. Yeah, and just just so that it's clear, the upset win was over uh, number 13, Ohio State. I don't think I said that out loud, but, but there it is. Again, all yeah. good things, all very good things. Pivoting to the men now, though, they played equivalent or lesser competition, but they still they still impressed. Uh, other than for dropping the doubles point versus state, I think that was a bit of a frustration. 
Oh, it was okay. So I was there um, at because that was before for the Washington game. Yes, that was before the Washington game on Friday night. And um, doubles point against Georgia State. I don't know what it is about Georgia State, and it's honestly after watching the doubles tennis point, I kind of and a big chunk of singles, I kind of understand the football argument of why you don't want to play your little brother in if you don't have to because those guys were I don't want to call them disrespectful per se. They but came to play. They were they were obnoxious. It was. It was screaming after any point. It was, uh, I don't know, tennis. Okay, are we really going to break into a discussion on on-field ethics? I just said we were pivoting away from that. Come on now. I mean, I know. I was like, I don't know. I've never been angry at a tennis match before. <laughs> but that's a good thing to be, I feel like. I, I mean, again, the merits uh, or lack thereof of playing an inner-city rival that's in a lower division talent level of you like the merits of that notwithstanding like it's good to be into a tennis match like that i think for some people that aren't so i don't know like individual sport inclined like tennis tennis is a weird sport to get into like you like to be a diehard fan of tennis you it, it's strange so to be excited to be engaged in a match it's it's a good thing I mean, I played for years growing up and like, I, I don't know, I never got into watching other people play tennis until I came to college tennis uh, and like being down here. Um, but I don't know. I, whenever I go to a match, I'm always invested in how our guys are doing. If that makes sense. Like it's weird to like go f- make that pivot from, yes, I'm supporting my team to like, you know, when you're at a football game, you're just like, you want to knock their teeth in, you know, or you're at a basketball game, baseball game. It's a weird, whatever. I, I see what you're saying. It's a weird context switch. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. So, no, we're, we're, we're saying the same thing in, in different ways, yeah. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We're on, we're on the same wavelength. And then, like you said, you know, they, they came back and won four straight singles. They beat Auburn pretty solidly. Um, they swept the Citadel 7-0. Like, that is, that is a good weekend. Three wins. Bank them. Young team. Growth. Stamp all the usual, you know, qualifiers on it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, had nothing else to, I had nothing else to add there. Uh, I was, like I said, pretty impressed with the weekend. Like, I think overall for uh, – it was a mixed bag for Georgia Tech sports overall, but the – Good parts were very good. Yes. Um, again, in the policy of not nitpicking wins, women's basketball is on track. Women's tennis got another marquee top 15 win. Men's tennis took care of business. These are good things. You know, softball only lost two to one to the best team in the country. Boom. Signed, sealed, delivered. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So let's see. We have, we have our baseball preview to get to. Is there anything else in the wide world of Georgia Tech sports that you want to mention before we dive into baseball? Uh, other than, are we going to save the schedule preview for last? Yeah, we'll we'll do that. We'll we'll take care of that last. All right, cool. Um, other than that, I'm good. Let's talk baseball. 
Yeah, the only the only other note that I had is that hockey was at the SEC hockey conference tournament this weekend. Yeah. Uh, they, I don't want to talk about that one. <laughs> I'm just saying that they were there. I I saw that they were there. I I really was hoping that you would be able to comment further. <laughs> well, I mean, I can I can talk about it, but short a version. Four one off the UGA with two empty net goals is not. not not a fun topic, so we'll just say that they're looking to get a regional berth. Hopefully, they're playing in Florida in a couple weeks. Um, man, I don't know. I hate us- losing to UGA and everything. Uh, ice hockey is a particularly passionate sport of mine. You know, it's fine. Whatever. We'll uh, we'll get them next time. <laughs> oh boy, said like a true Midwestern dad at a at talking to his son after a losing baseball game. All right. Let's see. So, baseball season starts on Friday. So, the, it's the Atlanta Challenge. Tech will face St. Peter's, Cincinnati, and St. John's on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, respectively. Um, spring has sprung, like you, like you were saying on Twitter and in a couple of your articles this week. So, we have each prepared two high-level questions about this baseball season. So we're going to dive in. We didn't, uh, we've been previewing baseball a lot over the last two weeks uh, on from the rumble seat. So if you want more, I don't know, more wide ranging coverage, you can head there, but, but for now let's stick to our more, they're high level, but they're still pretty focused questions. So Mr. Grant, do you want to start us off here? Sure. Um, all right. I think this is probably the big one's mind. Um, the turnover is the pitching uh, coach and the staff on that side. Has the pitching talent developed as fast as the pitching culture has improved? This one, I think this one is a little, is a little tough, right? Because you are, you're comparing a, you're comparing the yardstick of last season's pitching talent where you had, Amos Willing and putting in a lot of quality quality innings. You had Connor Thomas being the ace of, ace of the rotation. Davion Curry is putting together solid starts. Brant Herter um, played most of the season and then was injured. It's a weird point of comparison when you haven't really seen the um, when you haven't really seen what this year's guys are going to look like. But I will say, given Borrell's Emphasis on technology, emphasis on very physiological, very um, almost scientific approaches to pitching. It, it seems like there have been a lot of improvements. Yeah, um, based on the numbers he puts out, and man, I would love to see their proprietary stuff. But on the numbers he puts out across the board, even with pitches they've added in the last year. Um, and new freshmen, all, all these numbers are staggeringly better. You know, like looking at John Hughes or Court Rodig. Um, I, I think Court Rodig is going to take a big step forward this year personally. But, um, you know, the on paper they have, I think it's just a matter of what does that translate? How fast does it kind of adapt to like the live baseball, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not just, I, I think a lot of the numbers that we've been seeing have been 
excuse me, they've been more like, okay, he's improved his fastball speed. He's improved. Um, this guy is, uh, as a changed his arm slot, this guy, I I'm actually looking at a couple of his tweets now, like we're like the arm slot has changed. The arm angle has changed. Um, the release angle of the ball has changed there. These are all good stats, right? Like they, they really get you into the nitty gritty, uh, like physical, a physical in like the science sense of the word physical angles of pitching. But what, but what does this translate to in terms of control? What does this translate to in terms of pitch sequencing? Those are the things that I think are going to be most important, especially with um, a very, what, what looks to be a very young starting rotation this season. And then at the same time, you're throwing a lot of youth right into the fire in the bullpen as well. Yeah. And, and a lot of that's going to train like, translates to the non-measurable stuff the uh the you know who's going to be a head case if there gets to be a runner on second with no outs after a ball gets thrown over the first baseman's head you know like that's not something you can put a number on it's just a matter of okay i've been here i trust my stuff i can strike out the next guy get the other guy to hit into a ground out and then fly out you know like that's those are intangibles that only translate once you have that game experience, right? Yeah, and it, I think this first series against op- opponents that Tech should should dispatch pretty, you know, without much incident will be a good tune-up, a good test of this talent and and of Boral's approach to a to a certain extent. Like you're still facing college hitting the quality of which you know this weekend is a little murky given that the teams like st peter's only won five games last season but it's still live baseball you're still playing live games it's no longer practice it's no longer pitching sessions um in the bullpen under the stadium these are live games with opponents that have scouted you very very rigorously let's see what you got let's see what this approach has brought yeah, and they've had all season to have these games circled, right? For St. Peter's, this is going to be their World Series, their Super Bowl, their March Madness. This is this is their shot, right? So that's why they play the games. You know, if if it was as easy as running down the roster and being yes, no, yes, no, then sports wouldn't exist. So we kind of it's it's a wait and see game at this point, honestly, in my opinion. And fortunately, we are what sixty hours from seeing at this point. Yeah. So, I guess the answer to this question is wait until Friday to find out. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> very satisfying answer. Like you know, I yeah, but but at the same time, like that's just that's just the way the cookie crumbles here. Like you don't know it's the same thing in the in the majors right you don't know how good a prospect is until they step on a major league field at like three or four years after they're drafted and then get their 40 at bats to stabilize their uh um to stabilize their numbers it's just you need to give it time you need to see their talent in action and uh tangentially we'll we'll get at least uh a spring look at joey bart trying to do that this year since he'll be in big league camp yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully he makes the Giants roster. 
Uh, I know Buster Posey yeah. is still there and he's still healthy, but uh, you know, everyone needs a backup catcher. Just yeah, got to give him time to develop too. So, um, again, and that kind of segues nicely into oh yes, into our. I didn't even think of that, but there you go. All right, so yeah, like you said, that sets up our second question: Who is the replacement for Kyle McCann? That is catcher Kyle McCann to really ruin the transition there. Yeah, uh, who was also the replacement for catcher Joey Bart the year before. And also all of them are, both of them, excuse me, are massive power hitters. So who are we thinking? You look up and down this roster, who stands out to you as being that guy, being in the same mold? It just kind of hit me. I think. Um, I think that might actually be two questions. Um, it's who's going to replace Kyle McCann behind the dish and who's going to replace Kyle McCann at the plate. Is, is that a fair way to... Uh, no, I, I totally think that's fair. And I think that's how I analyzed it when I was talking about the... Uh, I want to say it was the, one of the previews too. Yeah. Um, and, and in terms of... I, I think the easier question is... Um, behind the dish, and I think the answer, if everything goes well, we're going to be seeing Jay Collin back there. I think if Turley or Taylor becomes long-term starter this year, either they just come out kind of out of nowhere because uh, neither was really that uh, spunky last year. Um, but but Jay Collin, is, he comes highly touted. I, he's my pick behind the dish. I don't, I don't know what his power numbers look like. Um, off the top of my head. I got a couple numbers here from Perfect Game. Uh, 97th percentile in the 2020 class, or uh, excuse me, the 2019 class in Exit Velo. Um, Well, that's a hitting stat, but let's see if I can find a catching stat. Uh, I mean, if if you want to back him up as saying he's going to be somebody who's going to mash, then by all means, answer both questions at once. Yeah, so that's actually what I was, (laughs) I was going to roll right into that. What I was, what I wrote in our catcher preview is, Tech should consider D should consider DHing Holland because he has the bat. We don't. I I can't necessarily speak for his prowess behind the plate, but maybe you put someone that is more defensively proficient or at least a proven commodity behind the plate, like Turley or Jamie Taylor, and then you DH Holland so that you get. Um, at least for the first couple of games so that you get an idea of what both of them have to offer against regular starts and regular college pitching. And then maybe you make a move. Yeah. That, and, and that logic holds, but they only played in a combined 22 games and started a combined three last year. So this, the, the, the idea that they have a lot of experience, not, not saying that you're wrong or it's not true, but, you can make him more experienced, but not, and not saying it's Han's job to lose either, but I I'd like them to give him a shot. You know, if we can ride with Holland back there for three years, like Joey Bart called his own games. That's not something you see at the college level very much, you know, that putting Holland in now. And if he can adapt quickly is going to pay dividends, not just this year, you know, at the end of the year, because everybody grows during the year. But it's going to pay dividends, you know, 
next year and the year after that when you know the catcher kind of falls into that that captain role that that model the guy who keeps the pitchers in check yeah um, and 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 just so that we come back to the discussion about how Holland's bat like I think I think you've explained his like the case for him being catcher pretty well but like yeah to reef to pivot over to the McCann at the plate side, who's going to replace that? Holland's power numbers are pretty ridiculous, uh, at, at least per from perfect game. So he was the like I said, ninety seventh percentile in the twenty nineteen class in exit velo, ninety seventh percentile in max barrel speed, ninety eighth percentile in uh, power generation at the point of contact, or what uh, perfect game calls impact momentum. 94th percentile in bat acceleration. These are very, very good numbers. He can turn on a pitch and let it fly. Now, this comes with the caveat that a lot of this is versus high school pitching. Perfect game is a little different because that's high-level high school pitchers, probably like the quadruple A for college, if you if you sort of get my mixing of metaphors there. But... yeah. I, I think this is a good foundation. This is definitely a good foundation to build off of. And if anything, like I said, you need to have him in the lineup because Turley and uh, and Taylor have do not have similar power numbers, at least not ones that I can find. Yeah, I uh, I, I get you on that. Um, I don't know. I guess I guess we can we could dive more into Reed and other freshmen and their power numbers. I don't think you're going to be seeing Waddell Goldberg, um, you know, a lot of the returners kind of dialing that up. But I think, I think we're seeing Holland behind the dish come ACC tournament, hopefully postseason. knock on wood. Um, I, I think it'll have been a successful transition yeah i mean like like i'm good with holland behind the plate i i just i want to see that defense i want to i want if he gets a run out this weekend totally okay with that but i need i need to see with mine eyes what his how he commands the, the like takes control behind the plate and is he able to throw out runners is he able to um to frame pitches effectively obviously that's a little less of a factor at, at the the college level, I would say, but I want to see that defensive talent with my eyes to, in order to say, yes, this is the guy that should be behind the dish for three plus years. Yeah, I, I, I gotcha. Um, point is it again, I feel weird saying this for the second question in a row, but it's not, um, it's not something we're going to find until the games are played, right? So, mm-hmm. so we can we can go back and forth and circle talk agreeing on that all we want, but you know, part of it is what it is. Honestly, it is what it is. I, I think for a lot of them, the answer is just going to be play the games. Um, but you know, like you can talk about who's going to replace uh, Will Height in center or Tristan at first, and it's going to come down to what you hope, what you think, and you know. The I actual answer. I feel all happen. and I know. I think I feel and I know. Yeah. Our therapy words, Jake. Uh, isn't that what sports are for? Um, 
but yeah, bad, bad version of therapy would not use sports as therapy personally. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's move on. Yeah. So what do you have yeah. cooking for us next? Um, I, I think this is, um, an underrated kind of aspect of what they've been talking about in the lead up to the season. Uh, what will the speed on the bases, like more sends slash small ball look like? Um, when in the past, what we've seen is more like of the big bats of the slugging, but also a lot of bunting. Um, I know that's not, at least in the front of the rumble seat, um, slack, the hashtag bunt for power movement is not, not exactly the most popular. No, but if, if the team needs to play small ball, I don't know. I've just never seen them do that. Like, what do you think that's going to look like? All right. So let me, I, I have some of the returner stats pulled up here. Um, when we're talking about small ball, let me, let's, I'm, I want to extrapolate that a little bit to more scientific hitting or professional hitting. I, I think as more major leaguers will call it, you're a Nick Markakis types that generate hits like, well, they generate hits like a machine. Yeah. For for Tech, you're looking at Jackson Webb and, uh, and Luke Waddell, who did that for the vast majority of the season. Luke Waddell obviously slashing um, 322, 436, and 416 last season. And own, and and Andrew writes here, he was third on the team in batting average and then was very patient at the plate, only striking out 22 times over 233 plate appearances like when you have guys like that you are bound to generate hits even at i think webb was webb and waddell were right around in the middle of the lineup i want to say they were either two and three or five and six and they were able to routinely get on base and and routinely at least threaten for stealing bases i want to say waddell had seven um, and Webb had six or seven as well. So you put those guys on base, they hit it. If they hit at the same rate, they are, they're your speed guys. They're the guys that you're looking at to say, okay, they've gotten on base. How do they optimize their chances of scoring from here? Especially when you may not have as much power in the lineup this year, these guys are going to have to step up a little bit more and, um, and generate more offense in the way in other ways as well. Yeah. And yeah, green lighting guys on the base paths will get them to second and third. Well, if they can steal third, um, get them around the infield more. I know we've stranded a lot of uh, runners last year, but that's also by virtue of putting a lot of people on base. And if they can keep that high on base percentage walks hit by pitches, you know, hits that stay in the park, like that, I think the biggest difference we're going to see is there's not going to be a Kyle McCann, boom, big home run power. Tristan English, boom, big deep power outside of, at least from people that are coming back, Baron Radcliffe. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at, let's see, I need to look at the outfield here. So, like you said, Baron Radcliffe is another is your power hitter. Michael Goldberg was also was like an ACC leading hitter in batting average for most of the season at the DH slot. Like he's going to be another, and, uh, another one of your professional hitters and raking the RBIs too. A great stat. Um, but no, uh, saying all they have is Baron Radcliffe. And I, I facetiously added a second uh, to this being 
like will who, who who will take the Sunday song, which for those of you if you've not been to a game at Russ Chandler Field, um, kind of the big captain, usually the power hitter of the team on Sunday gets a different walk-up song, old 90s, I believe it's like a Christian contemporary song uh, where people clap above their heads kind of thing. And it's like the sign of the, you know, the, the big it's heavy... It's like the chop. It's like the chop except without, you know, negative connotations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like again, to answer my own question there, I think Bar- Baron Radcliffe is that guy. And the point I'm trying to make is he's not a bad replacement for that power at the plate either. Like if, if you're going to have a guy that's going to hit a lot of home runs, it might be the guy with one of the best exit velocities in the, in the game, very high um, ratio of home runs to at bats. What was it? 5.2 or something like that. Um, I'd have to pull it some, back up and I don't have it from me. I don't know what the, the, the ratio was, but you know, it's also 12, 12 a.m., so <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to find it because I'm getting tired. But, um, you know, Baron Radcliffe is a good guy to do it, so I don't think we'll lose all the power either because we got enough coming back on that front. I do also want to add you have um, dual-sport athlete Nate McCollum who came in for football also um, playing baseball. And from what our guys watching tape said, McCollum is very – very speedy. You could probably see him used as a pinch runner for Radcliffe in in late game situations, uh, or yeah. one of the one of the other uh, maybe not as fast guys on the base pads when you really need a runner in scoring position. Yeah, I uh, I'd second that. I um I haven't watched McCollum's tape, but he was also rated in um also isn't he a, a class of twenty twenty guy? Um, yeah, but, but um, uh, yeah, well. And I forgot about that. Shut up. Yeah, I was gonna say. I, let me let me let me look at that. I don't know if he early enrolled or not. Uh, I'm not the. Not anyway, the I think the football. point we're trying to make here is once again, it it's it depends. It is what it is. They're gonna have to play the games. Yeah, he's he's a 2020 signee. I don't think he enrolled early, so I don't I don't think he'll be on the flats. But um, you know if. If they're in a situation, they, they do have speed on the roster, too. So it's not going to be McCollum this year, but it definitely will be next year. Um, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't discount what you said just because of, you know, whoever's that's going to be, you know. As a, as a parting shot on this, um, just so we can move on because it is midnight on the East Coast, um, my, I felt like Tech was very or more aggressive last season on the base pads, and maybe it's just a overall baseball thing to be more aggressive on the base pads now. But at least from Tech, I definitely saw it in person every game, and I think you can see that. You can obviously see that in in stealing numbers, like I said, from Jackson Webb and Luke Waddell. I think you're going to see that was sort of the the 1.0 version. This year, you're going to see the 2.0. Now that you know you have proven commodities that can get on base, like I said, you're going to send them more often. If you know that they can beat out tags, you're gonna you're gonna be more or uh, Ramsey, um, Coach Ramsey is going to be more incentivized to send them um, over to second or maybe over to third if he thinks he can get uh, they can get there. Yeah. Um, the the it, data it, it is now there. 
Yeah. I like that. Ramsey. But yeah, no, definitely agree. What's Speaking our uh, fourth question? Speaking of data, that does lead us right into our fourth question, uh, which cool. I, I think brings all of our other topics together. What do you think is the ceiling for this team? Given the two parts at play, you have some experience, you have a lot, a couple of returning players, actually like a decent amount of returning players, um, but you all that are powered by analytics, this new approach to hitting this new approach to pitching and getting some improvement there just based on technique changes and analysis compared to youth prospects or, or freshmen that are coming in. You have these two parts to this team. Based on that, where does this team go? Where can they go? Oh, I'm putting on the gold-colored glasses here, buddy. Oh, boy. If if everything lines up, Omaha. If everything lines up. Yeah. You said the ceiling. That if, if everything lines up, this team can go to Omaha. I really need to get better at wording my questions. I yeah. think... I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I think we said the same thing last year uh, when looking at at the at the rotation specifically because we had i think we had talked about the rotation even last year the consistency just wasn't there uh, and the bullpen last year uh, the bullpen during the course of the 2019 season consistency wasn't there either so i want to see how the improvement from all of the technology with Bor- Borel and then the the youth that are going to be in the bullpen, their talent. I want to see how those two things meld and if they can shore up the bullpen. I think our hypothesis here for the season is we're not super worried about the hitting. I think that's going to take care of itself. We're worried about where that stability is going to come with the pitching. And I think the rotation will be fine. I I, I think... You mentioned that it's going to be something along the lines of uh, Maxwell, uh, Rodig, and Hughes. I think that's what we did, that's what we were talking about and batting around. But who is going to step up in that bullpen? Who is going to bring it every time? That be the reliable first reliever out, reliable closer, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I, and, and again, it's something that's going to it's going to shake out as things go on. Um, again, you're getting. 12, 15 a.m. Jake now, but I, I see analytics maybe not playing so much of a role in date. This is totally a, probably a left turn from what you were uh, this is an trying to go narrative. It's an anti-narrative transition, but I'll bring it back. I promise. Um, I see analytics maybe not having a, the biggest day-to-day role in, you know, the freshman transitions in what the pitching roster is going to shake out like but i see i see them as building a base right and so if we're talking about what that ceiling is and what what to expect there again expectations and ceilings are two different things so i'm going to blow up the question i'm going to say that we want to just build a base um not saying that getting to the ncaa tournament would be gravy or something like that i expect them to do that I expect them to contend in the Coastal. That Miami series at the end of the year, that's going to be big. Um, And it's just a matter of how those arms come along in the meantime, of who that stopper is going to be. Because, honestly, it's probably going to be Andy Archer. I don't know enough about, you know, how Jake Shira or 
the rest of the or Will Sherrod, Jake Brace, the rest of the pen has come along. It's going to be there's still so many question marks until we see them on the field. You know, God, I love how all of these questions have ended in. <laughs> we need to see game tape <laughs> in order to answer them. There's you no know, spring we- training in baseball. We saw them in October, and what what's going to shake out between then and now is going to be question marks. Well, I, I think we did get some good discussion in, so you know, I will, I'll take it. It's it's all yeah. about padding the podcast time. <laughs> no ad revenue. We we just do absolutely no ad revenue. This is just for this is just so I can tire you out on a Tuesday night. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> all right, I think that about. That about wraps it up for us on baseball and really on a very, very busy weekend on the Flats last weekend and then also an upcoming very busy slate for Georgia Tech uh, in NCAA athletics. Mr. Grant, do you want to uh, take us out with the schedule for this week? Yes. Uh, Quick hitters. Men's basketball Wednesday. Women's basketball at Virginia Tech on Thursday. Uh, swimming is at home, um, 10 and 5 p.m. Friday and Saturday. Track will be in three different road invitationals. That's whack. Um, but it's the thing. Um, if you're uh, if you're looking to get in your sports fix, this weekend will be uh, not just seeing swimming, but you got women's tennis at home on Friday, which is your appetizer before baseball and softball happen at the exact same time um, at 4 p.m. Baseball uh, opens their season versus St. Peter's softball host Nebraska. Saturday, swimming, same schedule and track, same schedule. Softball is at 12.30 and 6, uh, bookending a baseball 2 p.m. game versus Cincinnati. That's probably their best, uh, best opponent of the weekend before we roll on into Sunday for baseball and softball to close out um, with 1230 softball hosting Iowa baseball at one against St. John's and then uh, women's tennis, women's basketball, men's golf um, in uh, Puerto Rico, Raleigh and uh, Evanston. So that is all over the place. Um, So yeah, a lot of sports, a lot of traveling, uh, but also a lot uh, here on the flats to look forward to. And we will be, Able to bring that all to you next weekend or next week. <laughs> I gotta say, someone is really racking up the uh, the frequent flyer miles, booking all this I travel. Mean, lucky, lucky, lucky women's tennis. They get to go to beautiful Chicago two weekends in a row. What a dream! Okay, okay, pump your brakes there, buddy. Let's. You, this is how I know you're getting delirious. So let's let's call it here. We will be back in your podcatchers on Wednesday. Uh, And we will see you all uh, after another great weekend of Georgia Tech sports. 